Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Grab Lies podcast. I'm John Vargas here with Trevor Steppen. And just to start with our disclaimer, everything we say, do, and express on this podcast is not the expressions of the City of Los Angeles Fire Department. So I want to start off this episode by honoring a firefighter within our department who recently passed last week, Dan Ramirez. And just to take the uh, second just to honor his presence, his work, and his service over 30 years for the City of Los Angeles Fire Department, the community, and, you know, hearing something like this really uh, puts uh, mine and Trevor's hearts in, in a, a, be, a, a bit of grief. And uh, we'd love to just have this honor for him. And, yeah. So thank you, Dan Ramirez. Honor your presence and your service so much. So today's episode, things kind of changed. We had a guest that was set up for today didn't work out so it's just gonna be me and trevor it's been a while since him and i have gone into just talking about our experiences and anything that's come up for us and how we cope with our own mental health and own behavioral health and today's topic is going to be grounded within the idea of mental hygiene so with us in this line of work firefighters first responders veterans really want to instill that we have this idea that we're tactical athletes. Better yet, you know what, tactical warriors. Okay, we are put in this position of this line of work to be in a place of trust by the community and people who need our help. So we have to be in this place of center within ourselves to do that work. And sometimes an erratic job like being a firefighter, being a paramedic, a first responder, it can be challenging because we are the ones entrusted and our mental health and our behavioral health has to be at its peak. And a lot of things we do as far as like our hallmark of being a firefighter is we do preventative maintenance on our apparatus and our equipment. And we do this every day. We double check everything to make sure just in case something happens, this is not going to fail. Now, how come we don't do that with our mental health, with our behavioral health? There has to be a way for us to do this. And there are some practices you can do that instills a sovereign place with yourself to empower yourself to be in your center, to not be erratically displaced from your position in your mental health. And uh, today we're going to really talk about that stuff and what's important and shifting your perspective and shifting your conscious behavior and how you think about things when something arises for you. And I always think of warriors and I've studied warriors since I was a child, just being really into Bruce Lee movies and just superheroes and all that stuff. And one of the craziest warriors I've ever come across is the Shaolin monks. They're known to be the most powerful warriors on this planet. And I just remember watching when I was like about 13 years old on National Geographic, these uh, children, or other Shaolin monk children, and they were hanging by their necks on, from a tree. And you just watch these children hanging, it was to strengthen their necks. I was just like drawn in right away. Wait, let me ask you something really quick. Are they <laughs> second generation monks? Uh, like, are the monks allowed to have kids? 
are they just like adopted into the community? I don't know, dude. I just know that they were dressed in their their tunics or their robes, and yeah. they're just like training at that age and hanging by their necks from their necks. <laughs> and then I would just watch and continue this this documentary, and they would be sitting in meditation for like eight to ten hours, and I would just watch like, why are they meditating? That's so strange. And it's because that these warriors know that they're they have to be in charge of their mental construct of themselves their inner reality has to be in full alignment with themselves in order to become a great warrior yeah and they would be you know meditating in ice cold weather and i've seen some of them just meditate in like the um, hot coals so they're in a state of mental awareness that it goes beyond that to a point where their biological functioning is supernatural mm-hmm. and to the point of where they train in battle there is just there's no place where their mental construct is going to deter them from their ability to be a warrior. Yeah, they've been there. They've trained outside their comfort zone. So if we're tactical warriors, yeah, how come we're not doing practices and instilling that as a priority for us, just in case something happens? You know, it's um, it's super super paramount to step into this role and. Trevor and myself have been through the upheavals and the battles within ourselves, And, you know, we're here as experiencers. We're not mental health professionals, but you know what? We've been there. And through our experience, it's becoming a great method to teach about it and to talk about it and be open about, you know, the darkness and open about the intrusive thoughts, to be open about the behavior that we fed into that led into just almost our own demise in a way so yeah yeah, brother i went a long time without preparation right and then i've been pretty vocal about the first time we miscarried it turned me upside down and i hadn't prepared for that level of grief and i i honestly don't know if i could have prepared perfectly for that you know i i've always tried to live a full life and get outside my comfort zone but i i don't think i ever dared to love anyone as deeply as I love Leah. And I don't think I ever put faith in something like I did as like a a blessing of becoming a father. Mm. And when that was taken away from me, um, it, it fucked me up. Um, and looking back, obviously the best thing that I ever did that, that first week when we learned, um, that our baby wasn't viable was I quit drinking because I think, what the quality that you're talking about that these monks possess is a commitment to the process, right? So if I'm drinking and I'm just going to numb all of these emotions that I barely understand, right? Cause men aren't great at expressing their emotions. We just dude, We don't have the vocabulary. I don't think we have the practice. You know what I mean? At a very young age, I was told to man up, you know? And when you start looking at your caretakers as like, these people that are going to tell you to fucking suck it up, then you kind of adopt this philosophy as it's all on me. Mm. And you don't really trust anyone as much as yourself. And I think that's where we get in this dangerous territory of not reaching out for help or not seeing a way out, you know? Um, And so when you're talking about testing yourself, right? Hanging from a tree by your neck, (laughs) knowing yourself in the face of adversity. I mean, these are the benefits that I get out of a cold plunge. You know what I mean? It's uncomfortable. But instead of being in discomfort and grabbing my phone to reach for 
Instagram, I'm breathing through the discomfort. And ask anyone who does cold plunges, whether it's two minutes or 15 minutes, you come out feeling stronger. Yeah. And so, you know, I always try to represent humility. And this week, I'm, I'm honestly feeling like I could tear up right now uh, thinking about this member. You know, because when I, um, when I learned that he passed, you know, I think it's, um, we have a dream to help. Right. That, is, that is the sole function of this podcast. Yeah. And um, I felt a bit defeated you know, and not like I have the responsibility to keep this member alive, but I just realized that this problem is so much bigger than than two guys, you know, trying to speak from their hearts. Yeah. And, um, you know, I felt in an effort to remain humble, you know, because I, I've dealt with suicide before and I know myself a little bit in the face of that grief. I felt really... Um, sympathetic to all our members who yeah. are already dealing with low morale and high call volume and um just being tired and stressed yeah and all the shit that they have going on outside of work yeah and i thought about them just getting punched in the fucking gut by this news you know because when morale is low and then you hear that you know one of our brothers chose this path i mean on one hand dude i like to think he found peace you know that's always my soft spot for for anyone who's struggling that much is they found peace yeah but also i think about the family yeah. and i think about the members who knew him best and i and i wish i wish i could have gotten through to him i worked know? with him did you last year i never met him yeah so he was detailed to our station and i worked with him twice uh in about a couple week uh, a couple of weeks and then so we i talked a lot about his life talked about his his future retirement what he's about to do and i know he had two young two younger sons i think teenage years and you know just speaking to him and i just know he we had a, a couple busy days working together on the paramedic rescue so a lot of our conversation was coming up and knowing he had over 30 years on, I asked him a ton of questions about, you know, what do you see what's going on right now with, yeah. with everything, you know, changing and things like that. He said, I've never, I've never seen anything like it. And he I had hear that all the time. He had a great attitude though. He seemed so uh, peaceful to me. And really? the only thing I, I think I can speculate is that he had an awkward gait. Like something was like, misaligned with his hips or something like that and i could tell he was like in pain physical pain mm. um so i did witness that um and this is only speculation i don't want to get into further um details about um this member because uh it's just i want to let this person rest in peace but you know I, what i mean dude i hear you and you know our podcast is built on a platform of zero judgment right. so i respect you even more for saying that but i hope our listeners know that at a time of grief which breeds confusion yeah and when you're uncertain about things this is our brain this is the right. way we operate in our minds is trying to make sense of right. things and so I, I i know what you're doing right now and i've done the same thing yeah i've i've wondered because for me the gut punch came when i learned that his retirement party right. was this week or this month or something right. like that right and for me like a lot of my problems are work related right. so i i see retirement as like you know what an opportunity it's the finish line dude, right yeah. that's what everyone it's says, a starting like, line we're, for here. Like a we're finally environment, here dude. everyone 
always uh, hears those 10 bells, which is, you know, the, the mice of a member. And we always look at the time period, what they had from the end, the end of their retirement to their demise. And yeah, it did was they win like, or four, lose? yeah, if it was 40 years, hell yeah. We're like, everyone cheers for that person. If it's a couple months and a year, everyone's like, damn, that that's, that's hard to, yeah. to witness, you know, but I think with um, this member, it was, it was interesting because I worked with him and I, I just, when I saw his name, I was like, wait, I just worked with that guy not too long ago. And I do remember we had a couple of very uh, serious incidents. One of them was uh, pronouncing a young a young boy in a, uh, a T-bone crash. Damn. At like four in the morning. So How I do remember, young? I do remember that. Um, I can't really say. I don't remember, dude. I just remember it was a very serious incident. And I just was thinking, because I had talked to him about his sons and thinking, I was like, I wonder what he feels like if he has, you know, these boys, the same, probably around the same age of this, this young boy who just uh, went on right now. And it's just... Um, it just it, that thought came through my mind it was like four in the morning you know something like that and you know you never know what gets to someone or what has been leading up into you know is it it's not just one isolated incident sometimes it's multiple stuff coming up to the surface all at once and that's why we talk about this this mental hygiene because when something happens you got to be there and knowing like I'm anchored in with myself right now and nothing else is gonna shift me and if it does shift you a little bit you get a little bit of an upheaval it's okay uh, but at that anchor, the deeper it goes, the better with yourself. And, you know, I think prior to, you know, this this podcast today, I mean, I did like 30 days of a devotion to my practice uh, to just get deeper in with myself. And this was something I kind of felt I wanted to do. Um, I even did like uh, a bit more of fasting. And I, I feel amazing after I did those 30 days of detoxing from you know, my phone detoxing from TV and really sitting with myself and with like my meditation practice, I pushed it up to an hour, an hour and a half of meditation and stillness. And, you know, it, it's rigorous sometimes, but at the same time, it was, it was a, a, a margin for myself to see how deep I can go and doing the conscious work with myself too. It's really showing me how, how valuable that is. And I really, I've brought a lot, a lot more honor into my, my being with that and value with um how i see myself you know and it's it's a priority for me yeah you know it's good i mean uh, dude what, one thing you brought up was how we have this preventative maintenance practice and you know la city's got this obsession with redundancies right, right. you got to get certified on the engine in case the engineer rolls his ankle out of fire and you got to step in and pump for him i mean like all these like worst case scenarios we're planning for but we just choose not to plan for you know the worst case scenarios in the department of emotional trauma or mm-hmm. mental stress and it's interesting because we have such an obsession with achieve you know and motivate yourself and change your mindset and think positively and all the but we're not practicing anything mm-hmm. we're not training and there's, I, a, there's just, a chinese proverb it goes like this uh, one showing is worth a hundred sayings Yes. And dude, I mean, you know, the power of action, right? Yeah. As it, it, dude, you know, before Leah, I used to say, I love you. Now I show right. I love you. Right. And she, she feels it more and I feel it more. And so you can say I'm a positive person, you know, but those thoughts are sometimes so fleeting mm. when you actually put purpose and intention into, I don't want to say armoring yourself, but like, like we're talking about committing to the process of feeling when you don't choose to have a drink when you're having a hard emotion or to take a pill or to self-medicate in any 
one of the million ways that you cope when you choose to address it you're doing yourself a favor you're putting a deposit into your own longevity so i honor you dude and in, in really stepping up with your your practice you know it's the same for me right now i'm feeling a little anxious about this test that i have at the end of this month you know a, a practical for the diver exam and the way that i deal with that anxiety is i go train mm. right because there's right. nothing that's going to make me perform better on the test than actually getting in the water so as soon as i feel anxious that's my trigger that's my trigger for okay let's get out of your head and into your body and let's do something in the form of preparation so your commitment to this last month what motivated you to do that i don't know i was just in meditation and i just felt a dire need to kind of step up to the plate more Mm. uh, with my responsibility as being the the main cornerstone and anchor point for my my household i love it dude i'm feeling the same kind of purpose right now right like we just moved leah's 36 weeks pregnant Mm. i dude i knew i could move i knew it dude i've moved (laughs) i remember childhood moves you know what i'm saying my parents Mm. got divorced when i was 18 my mom asked me a week before we were moving out of my childhood home to to wrangle up four friends to volunteer right. to help me move dude it was so emotional dude it's I so was, stressful man. dude i was terrified to even tell my friends that my parents were getting divorced i didn't even know how to bring it up dude so it was very awkward so i have all these moves in my uh memories right yeah and i know what i'm like in that stress response i get shit done um so i was very confident in my ability to move and yet i had to continue to evolve right so even though i've moved a million times and i have purpose and i can get it done i still had to be sensitive to the fact that you know leah can't help and she's got her own anxiety about not being able to help and we've got a a timetable i mean dude in the back of my mind i was like i gotta get this shit done because this baby could come any minute right so i feel that calling to step up and it's good i mean it 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 drives purpose i think being purposeful is is a good expression of self and you're putting a deposit into your resiliency right and that's that's the beauty of getting outside your comfort zone is it expands your comfort zone so i'm trying to think of a way to tie this all together as far as like grief pulls the rug out from under you right and there's not a way to prepare for grief but i think there is a way to prepare for resiliency where you turn to meditation Mm. because it's a go-to practice if you don't have a go-to practice like if i don't have a go-to practice of getting into the water what's my go-to a fucking glass of whiskey you know or just some kind of shortcut to dopamine and that's the thing is we're hooked on dopamine and you know we live in our heads and i think the most fun that i have at work is honestly when we're suiting up and we're doing practical training when we're doing drills you know because it 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 gets me out of my head it gets me into my body i start using muscle memory i I just take a vacation from thinking and analyzing and judging and trying to come up with solutions to problems that haven't even happened yet right i mean true mind is no mind that those moments when you are you know doing a practice when you find bliss you, your your thoughts have gone away right and the moment you you see that you realize i am in a state of ecstasy 
because I'm not bothered by my thought processes. Yeah. You know, and they in um, there's a word called uh, Ching or I Ching. It's it's uh, it's called mental toughness or mental clarity, and that word means a lot because it's uh, it's your ability to have no mind. It gets in the way, and um, like if you would work with martial artists, they always say too many mind, no mind. And that means like you are getting caught up and you, you're doing the training. And when you're in the moment, uh, in the ring, you're, you're just reacting with your muscle, um, and your instincts. And yeah. those are the greatest fighters. And they will tell you this, like if my, if I'm in a state of, of mental capacity where I, I'm bothered by something, I can't get in the ring. And there's, that's why you see these great fighters come in and they're doing breath work now. Like, uh, yeah. is it Jake Paul? He's yeah. got, uh, the awakened breathwork practitioner with him. He's doing uh, about almost an hour of breath before his, his performance. And they focus on their mental practice before they're getting into this place of, uh, you know, being a warrior per se, right. you know, and it's, uh, that capacity to sit with oneself with clarity is the most important thing. That's what you want to reach. And there is an interesting way why I've came across, you know, going into Eastern, uh, practices and Eastern philosophies because they don't put things in a box. They don't label things. They let things run its course through nature. And I came across uh, like some of these concepts because I was enamored by uh, Phil Jackson, who coached the Bulls yeah. and the Lakers. And this guy would um, he studied uh, Zen Buddhism and he he read this book called um, Body My Mastery. Uh, by a guy named Dan Millman. And that book is about understanding the cycle of things. And you would watch this guy coach these great players, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. And on the basketball court, he would let these guys figure it out. He'd never call a timeout. And that's why, you know, these, uh, re- you know, people broadcasting the, the games, they'd be like, he's not calling timeout. What is he thinking? He let his guys figure it out and let the cycle manifest itself. And in the end, they became champions because he trusted his members and he trusted the cycle of life. Yeah. And even in, you know, adversary, you know, he would just allow things to just take its form. And I think for myself, when I, my biggest upheaval was my concussion because I had to just, I had so much brain fog. I couldn't think anymore. And it caused me to go into panic sometimes. And at some point I realized, okay, hold on a second, dude, I have to do something about this. I can't, allow myself to lose my grip and the way i did that was i had to separate my concussion symptoms from my mind and i had to sit with my mind and and see what is what is going on here Mm. and the more i did this practice the more i began to understand myself more the more i began to see myself more and that was the most interesting piece of the puzzle that i'm able to really see now with myself because I'm seeing like my experience going through is such a harsh um, lesson in my life became uh, the greatest way to learn about behavioral health and why I'm here today. Yeah. And you're, you're in the same boat, dude. And we came together and collaborated. We're like, dude, you know, we've been there. We fucking know how it feels when things are out of control. Um, and it's just, you, when, it, when you're in that feeling, dude, it fucking sucks. But, you know, you can get out of it. And that willpower within you there's something about it. It's really uh, beautiful when it manifests and you start to take a hold of it and mm-hmm. tend to that fire, that flame within you, that warrior spirit, or just your spirit in general. And you, you see how powerful it is, yeah. you know? Yeah. There's a lot of power in the choice. You know, yeah. um, we talk about zooming out, give yourself a little space, right? So if you're stuck in your head, you know, um, 
because of a head injury, you have to you have to give yourself a little space to at least witness what's going on, right? Because yeah. for the longest time, dude, I, I lived in my head. I don't know if that's a trauma response or like survival mechanism, but I, I was always in my head. And, you know, I, I began to like associate with every thought, mm-hmm. attach to every single thought. And until I developed into this person who could witness his thoughts and have just a little bit of space and just like be aware of the thoughts you know instead of being like okay i'm having dark thoughts i'm having intrusive thoughts suicidal ideation i am suicidal i can i can take a step back and witness these thoughts and say wow trev you're having a lot of dark thoughts Mm -hmm. like are you prepared to investigate this do you want to go into this or do you just want to let these thoughts pass but either way, it's not just immediately impulsively attaching to it. Right. And that has served me very well. <laughs> I mean, just being even the witness, there's less judgment. There's less attachment. So, like, I can, instead of making that choice to attach and say, oh, man, all these dark thoughts are now leading to a negative mindset, which is leading to a hard day. You know, all I can think about is my low back pain and just being stuck in that frequency I can be like, all right, dude, <laughs> it's been an hour of negative thoughts. Are you feeling good? Do you like this? Is it, is it doing anything for you? No, it's not. So let's choose to, to just be different, think different, act differently, right? I, I told you yeah. recently. It's a power of choice right there. Man. Yes. It's really beautiful. And, dude, okay, so something recently came up for me that was so bizarre, but it was also like, okay, this is so typical of me is we moved and we're super happy. We're super happy in our new home. We'd love it. And then I had this like anxiety come up. Like, when is this happiness going to go away? And that's, mm-hmm. dude, that is so rooted in like my young, young self. You know, I've been like preparing myself, you know, for things to turn my entire life. And, but now I'm more willing to investigate it. I'm more willing to, to witness it and say, where is this coming from? Is this actually what you feel right now as a 37-year-old male who's very safe? Or is this like an inner child memory, a pattern that you've developed from all your conditioning? And do you have the power to now comfort that inner child and say, hey, dude, we're way safer now. You can enjoy this moment. You can feel good with all this gratitude for all this love that you're experiencing between you and your partner and your baby and this home that you you're very proud to you know purchase and provide this safe environment for your partner you know you can enjoy it and that and that space that i've allowed myself to kind of step back and look at it and be like wait 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 wait, wait. this is not how i feel this is not authentic this is a memory this is my past that has allowed me to choose to do something differently right because yeah. in that moment, before I felt like, okay, I'm I'm a victim to this way of thinking, and now I can choose to live differently, and that's been the the best benefit for me. Just even lying in bed last night, dude, I was like, the phone's gonna ring, you're gonna get a call, and I was like, dude, this doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. So, do yeah. you want to feel better? How can you feel better? And for me, my mantra right now is just live with, uh, lead with love, just feel love, just provide love, give love. You know, do I have to be perfect on every call? No, but can I, can I choose to, to, you know, take the best step forward with love or do I have to approach everything the way I've always done things, which is full of fear, full of anxiety. And how's that working out for me? I'm sick of it. Right. I'm sick of looking back on my life, wishing I had enjoyed it more. 
Yeah, it's a you have, it's a comprehension point with the inner voice, and that seems to be the uh, the number one uh, marker for mental hygiene is understanding what that voice is saying, and you know you could uh, label it or you can categorize it, you can compartmentalize it, and at some point, um, intrusive thoughts can come in and and they could come and go any thoughts even beautiful thoughts yeah absolutely you know and it's um it there comes a point when you could let your mind be empty and that's okay that's actually what feels best because you're having a bit more clarity within yourself to really act in the best way and you know it i i come to a an agreement with myself to really just not feed any thoughts you know and just be clear and that feels really good you know i feel peaceful and i think for the comprehension portion with intrusive thoughts because I've sat with intrusive thoughts before. And I mean, I can give two examples. Like one of them is, you know, when I was working through a serious upheaval with myself, I was sitting on my couch and this voice came in and said, why don't you just fucking end it right now? I just looked at myself and kind of laughed, you know, but at the same time it was, it became so dark for me to witness that I kind of started defeating it. And I found myself, uh, you know, struggling with, the thought and then became an emotion attached with it and then i began to feel anxious and fearful and i realized hold on a second this doesn't feel good to sit in this position right now and all it was was just a thought it doesn't mean it's my truth at all and to sit with that idea with it or the idea of myself witnessing it it became a bit more um less complex because i didn't uh resonate with it number one and then the number two is I, i stopped feeding it and the more I fed it, the more it got bigger and bigger and bigger. It became a bigger monster. Yeah. Um, and the second thing is kind of funny because I had recently had an intrusive uh, just experience. I was just eating at work. And I don't know what it was, like a chicken bone that I fucking swallowed. Oh, shit. And it was sharp. And I, I was like, I couldn't cough it up because it was already down. And I started to create this story in my head like that this chicken bone is going to come and like poke my lining of my stomach and then exit all the gastric fluids in my thoracic cavity. <laughs> so i had like whoa create yeah and I was, but it came so quick yeah. this, this story you know and i sat there with myself and i didn't feed it you know that was the this is this is the good part is i didn't feed that thought or that that story i just witnessed it and saw i was like wow actually first of all i am very impressed by the creativity and the imagination i just I know, had right? and then second of all i was like i know too fucking much about the physiology of our bodies because yeah. It's just like I came up with this fucking intricate story and, you know, in the end I called Haley. I was like, hey, I got to tell you about this fucking story because it's really funny. And she was like, well, you're just going to shit it out. (laughs) (laughs) But, dude, it was just, you know, it's funny how our minds work. And the moment you see the humor in it, too, it becomes a bit easier. Yeah, it does. You know, sometimes lately when I have um, dark thoughts, I'll be like, whoa, whoa, what the fuck was that? Yeah. And it's less judgment and more just awareness. But yeah. you bring up an interesting point because of what we see on the daily basis, you know, and because what you know about physiology and anatomy and just dark shit, right. our minds can wander. I mean, I talked about this recently with some some newer dads, you know, because I told them like, dude, sometimes when Leah's like, hey, I'm going to drive up to Santa Monica to see my sister. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, don't get behind the wheel. I worry more, mm-hmm. you know, because of, let's say I went on traffic accidents all week, you know, and so I've. I've discussed this with other fathers who they worry more because they, they know, they know how fires start. They know how people get trapped in bedrooms. They know, you know, just shit that can happen. Right. right. So 
it's interesting, dude. We're prone. We're prone to this, but we're also, like you said, we're tactical warriors. And so we should, we should be able to prepare for this. We should be able to train for this. We should be able to see, okay, I need a redundancy in place. Like at the time of my most, most grief that I've ever felt, I didn't have any redundancies, right? I had Leah, but I hadn't even learned how to trust Leah fully at that Mm -hmm. time. Right. And so I would say that that is, that is where to make the deposit. You know, you can run hypotheticals all day. You can worry. You can come up with, you know, explanations and, you know, scenarios where there is a solution. But it's, you know, as far as making deposits, dude, you, you're, you're kind of putting it into account that may not get used at, right. at all. Right. And that's what I've learned in my life is my ego has been determined to protect me from shit that a lot of times did not fucking manifest. Dude, you could be doing nothing all fucking day and be exhausted by the end of the day because your your mind just fucking rambling. That's so many of us. It's all. It's, it's a, so it's many lot, of us. Dude. When I bring up hyper vigilance, it is not specific to the fire industry, mm. fire service. You yeah. know, I mean, like, dude, just the rat race in America. Right. It's, I mean, it's a joke how quickly we eat lunch, how how late we stay up. I just saw Google's offering. 99 bucks a night at their campus for employees to sleep at work. Are you fucking kidding That's me? Funny, dude. Set some boundaries and get away from that office. Dude, uh, me and Haley, we were, we were had at this Airbnb and, and uh, Joshua tree. We met this uh, old Italian couple and they were super happy and, uh, and joyful. And we were just like talking about everything and like, Hey, what's like your guys' secret with like, you know, your life and, and, and your marriage and things like that. And the number one thing they said is quality of life. You know, like our culture in, in Italy is quality of life. You know, you guys, you guys, you Americans are so stuck with just the rat race, essentially. She didn't say rat race, but you know, we knew what she was saying and their number one priority is that quality of life. You know, they eat and drink and, and be merry. That's like their quality of living. And that's what they put forth. You know, you can go into like Spain and shit like that, dude. They don't fucking work, bro. Like, you, you, they work like three days a week. Like everything's fucking closed. Yeah. And for us, dude, it's like everything's open twenty four seven, man. You know, everyone's in this rat race of just, just trying to make it big, make the American dream, make money. And uh, I get it. You know, it's it's an opportunity, but it's also a uh, poison that you're instilling into the culture. And that's just where we're sitting at, you know. And and especially in our city. The city of Los Angeles is just, it's so much noise pollution. There's always something going on. It's fucking nuts. That's why a lot of people, when they leave work, they want to escape. That's why guys are moving out of state because they just want to, they want to be away from people. (laughs) Yeah. I, dude, I feel a tendency to want to isolate a lot. You know, I'm, I'm mostly comforted by nature lately, water and trees and, you know, just being outdoors. And like you said, there's a lot of noise pollution at work. There's a lot of sirens, a lot of tones you know and the ability to escape that and unplug is healthy it's it's one of those things that it's it's regulating yourself yeah. and so that's what i was going to say is like that's to take space and to witness your thoughts what you're doing is you're regulating yourself mm-hmm. and you know i got pretty hooked on breath work and i haven't actually opened up the app in over a month but i do breath work every single day mm-hmm. as soon as i get triggered with some form of anxiety the the way that i regulate myself and the way i give myself some space from my thoughts is i go into my breath and i think that is how i've learned to prepare for life's stresses is i don't need to have a prediction of the stresses i just need a practice 
in place for when things start to stress me out. Right. Right. And you brought up laughing. Humor is a great way to prepare just to find joy. Right. Find the comedy and all the ridiculousness because it's so funny you bring up this Italian couple, but I just saw on my my Instagram feed that uh same sex marriages in Italy, uh the biological mom, she will still uh have custody of the kid, but the the partner who's not the biological mother, she's getting taken off the birth certificate. And I was thinking, fuck man, no country's perfect. Yeah. You know, it's always, you know, we have a tendency to kind of focus on at least for me, right? I focused on LA City. Mm. But recently there's a big loss, you know, in, in Cal Fire with this helicopter crash. And, yeah. you know, we're seeing suicides from other departments. And, yeah. dude, I get hit up all the time on Instagram. Hey, you know, I'm a firefighter in Canada. And what you guys are saying is resonating with me. Mm. And so I think, you know, I, I love that that couple inspired you to focus on quality of life. Because you do. You have to keep your life in balance. Yeah. But everyone is struggling with systems you know systems failing and that's why dude if you can deposit something right it's not necessarily in the department it's in yourself right you know and so for me the way that i deal with all this anxiety is i i train you know and and the way to train for a, a life's stress is not to emulate you know grief or whatever it's just to to calm yourself down learn how to regulate yourself and that's not something i ever did you know i never i never got used to being uncomfortable i always chose something to make me more comfortable yeah whether it's instagram and dopamine or, or porn or you know i used to look forward to every i didn't care what the week was like at work i had a trip lined up for that four day that was the same way dude right escaping man right yeah, away yeah yeah i can do anything as long as there's a finish line in sight and that okay that's going to bring me full circle right now to my own suicidal ideation. I, you know, you talk about these dark thoughts and not attaching to them. I, dude, I've had dark thoughts since I was a child. Mm -hmm. And at that age, I didn't know how to not attach. Right. And so I always was almost like a victim to my own darkness. I always saw that as me, not a part of me, not a part of me that I could um, disassociate from or regulate. And the thing about my own suicidal ideation was it wasn't coming as a result of depression. It was coming as a result of feeling like I had fulfilled a contract. Mm. I felt like, and this is what I'm talking about, it's like getting through anything, getting through a gnarly 120 because you know that the finish line is going to produce a way to escape, like a trip on a four day. Mm. And I was having so much fear and pain in my life that i was thinking oh i can just hang on just just hang on for a little bit longer and then you can take your own life and that's the fulfillment of your contract and that's how desperate i was that's how empty my cup was that i was just okay just just get through this this last little part get through your divorce get through your divorce and then you know and that's when that shit would come up it was just like i can't handle anymore when did you ever feel the completion with that? That's a great question. Um, the first time Leah and I got pregnant. Hmm. The first time Leah and I got pregnant, I, <laughs> it's so funny, dude. I was going to get a vasectomy, you know, six months. I mean, it wasn't like I made an appointment, but I was joking with guys at work that I like this single life. Hmm. I like it. And it's hilarious because I've always been a relationship guy. I've always been a serial monogamous and I've always valued human connection. 
and then there's a part of me that's very dark that thinks I deserve to be alone and you know that's my ego feeding me that the only way to truly protect myself is to never trust love and never be vulnerable and that's a fucking lie it's, it's funny all, it's the all opposite of that is actually the the true uh, part of liberation <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, you know it's like totally. when you when you do that it really puts you in a, in a fucking foxhole right oh you're on <laughs> your own and that's what I'm talking about is men think you know, and obviously I want to represent females listening to this as well, but a lot of my, my own personal research is on masculinity and, you know, men commit suicide more often than, than women. And so this feeling of like, I'm on my own, you know, and, and no one is on their own. No one is on their own. We all need human connection. So to answer your question, it was like a fucking light bulb went off as soon as we got pregnant. And I started dreaming of a long life with Leah you know, before Leah, I, you know, even I was with my ex-wife for seven years. I always had a narrative, even early, early in the relationship that it would end. And I don't know if that was my fear of commitment or my fear of rejection or my fear of putting myself out there or just fear of vulnerability in general, but that was my narrative. And so when I met Leah, my narrative changed. And when we got pregnant, it changed even more. And it was, it wasn't in pencil anymore. It was in pen Right. that I would not take my own life. And that's purpose, you know, and that's, um, that's a greater, a greater understanding of my own journey is realizing that I am meant to fall down and I'm also meant to pick myself up. And that's peace that I've made with myself is that I'm no longer afraid of being broken. I'm, I'm committed to the idea of rebuilding myself. And I think when you go through an ego death, when you start having some transmutation happen, um, at the mercy of being extremely vulnerable, like feeling the most amount of grief where you're just, dude, at that time of, of those miscarriages, dude, I was so locked up physically. Like I, I just like permanently had a knot in my stomach. I always had back pain. I always had some sort of physical ailment and it was manifesting, you know, from this, this feeling of like deep emotional trauma. Mm. And so I think when I learned that I, I could get through it, you know, right. one of my favorite quotes is you've survived everything you've ever been through. I love that. And it doesn't mean it just washes away because you survived it. You still have to process these intense experiences, but it just empowers you, you know? And I think, you know, I was, I had a foundation early in my life of fear and, um, just not understanding my own strength, not understanding my own discipline, just being a victim to my mind. Right. And, and, and that part of my mind that's producing fear, right? Cause you have a part that is also, you know, very ins- inspirational, very motivating, you know, there's a part of my mind that wants to jump out of that cold plunge. Right. And there's also a part of my mind that says sit in stillness and find your breath. Yeah. That's why, you know, like you do certain practices that challenge you and challenge your mind because you're you're getting a, a put in a place that empowers you to push past some of the thoughts that come through and your willpower begins to strengthen. And the more you, you stack your, your practices and you begin to, you know, empower yourself in that place, it, it becomes such an anchor point for you to the point where you're realizing, holy shit, like I feel stronger. And after you continue to be consistent with it, yes, consistency with, with for sure. Preventative maintenance, it becomes like this, um, ability, you feel it. You feel there's this knowing inside of you that you're becoming stronger. And 
when stuff does come up, little things, bigger things, you realize you're like, hold on a second there. I, I know myself yes. to the point where I'm becoming um, the strong person who can uh, you know, be supportive, not for myself only, but for other people as well. And there's, there's this interesting uh, saying by uh, Japanese, they call it Satori. And that is their version of, of what they call enlightenment. And enlightenment to them, and that word, it, it has, um, technically there's no words to describe it, but the way they would describe it is, it is just the knowing of the essence of self. That is their enlightenment. That is the understanding of that. And to make the relationship with self is, is the most important thing. And the more I began to not fear myself, but go into it and, and just sit with myself. Because sometimes, you know, you speak of death and rebirth. That is the miracle of metamorphosis because what happens in that moment is that you're shedding parts of yourself that don't serve you energetically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And what's happening in that moment is that you're becoming someone anew. Mm. And that death and, re- and rebirth is a very jarring and it happens often. It's important for your, your process of evolution. And in that process of evolution, you realize like you love yourself on a deeper level, you know yourself on a deeper level and you become stronger, you know? And it's, uh, it's an interesting thing because sometimes you can do everything, all your practices, and the lesson is to sit with it. Yeah. And it can be very uncomfortable. And to sit with it, you begin to see, like, you know, there's a relationship being built here with sitting with it because you understand there's a there's a choice, the power of choice that you had mentioned b- before. It's like, dude, I don't have to do this. I don't have to, to sit with this frequency of fear and anxiety and just this, 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 disintegration phase that is important for regrowth that happens and my most beautiful realization became um with myself when i I realized i was like it's not about me it's about everyone else you know the collective and my secret you know it and i got out of my own self-righteousness and began to see there's a bigger picture here yeah even with some of my unprocessed trauma i had to face i had to see okay, there's something bigger at play here and I really have to trust it. Yeah. And trust is the key to the universe, whether you like it or not. It's, it becomes this, another part of the relationship with trust that you just let go of all of the circumstances, all of the stories, all of the enactments you create in your mind. And that's another portion of myself that had become the, the wonder of it all. Mm, yeah. You know, I love that. I love that, dude, because too often, you know, I get in a habit of approaching a day like I've got it figured out. I know what to expect. And the wonder puts me back into the moment mm. of realizing that, you know, there's magic. Yeah. There's there's magic all around us, you know? And so right. kind of like fixating on a particular yeah. outcome or having expectations because I've been through this before, you know? It's just limiting right. myself. And I love what you said about building trust, you know? And I think that's... Leah and I have been through things just as you and Haley have been through things, just as I've been through things with my, my crew members, you know, and like you build trust through that. If you're constantly avoiding yourself, if you're constantly self-medicating or you're determined to not feel things or get to know yourself in the face of adversity, how are you ever going to build trust? Right. And you know, I had no trust with myself. I just had trust that I would try and be perfect and the persona would be 
perfect in a sense, you know, like I just, I just, I just had such a commitment to portraying this like idea of a person who in my mind was stoic, but I didn't really know myself, you know, I mean, just even recently, right. A year ago, I learned that grief was underneath my anger at 36 years on earth, you know? And before that, like my, my emotional vocabulary probably included like four, (laughs) four categories, you know, just frustration, (laughs) anger, loneliness, rage. (laughs) I don't know. You know, I didn't really feel sad, you know, too often I would feel numb mostly. Really yeah, numb. I mean, if you bottle things up over a while, it it's uh, it'll it'll come up to the surface, and it's important when you see when something comes to the surface, you know, instead of reacting to it, and just acknowledge that it's a it's a process of a, a great purge that's not in resonance with you anymore. Right. So when we t- speak of something like a purge, a purge is something that needs to come out because yes. it cannot exist anymore. No longer in your system is it required. So when that does come up, you need to hold it and realize, okay, what is going on here? What's under the surface? And that's, that's how you get to unprocessed trauma. And I think a lot of the self-demise for some, some members and, and, and all the you know, service that we provide and that police officers provide and veterans and first responders, it's like a lot of it is unprocessed trauma that's sitting underneath that surface. And because people are afraid to go there, man, you know, they don't, they don't want to see it because it sucks. Yeah. They, they may be fearful because I, I can sympathize with that feeling. They may also have so much responsibility. I hear this a lot because I'm on the verge of becoming a dad and we want to have more than one, you know, and I've already seen just being 36 weeks pregnant, how my days are not my own. Right. And that's been a big transition for me is, is realizing, dude, I can schedule all this shit, but you know, unless, unless I truly work hard and fight off the fatigue that I'm experiencing because I was up all night, like I'm not going to get everything done. And I talk to a lot of members that I'm like, Hey, are you doing something for you? And they're like, no, you know, because when I go home, you know, I need to show up for my wife and I have to show up for my kids. And, you know, before I'm, before I know it, it's time to come back to work. Mm -hmm. So I sympathize with them because I think, yes, it is hard to commit to this and it's gotta be, I can only imagine it's gotta be way harder when you have a family to take care of. And so that's, and to our, to our point, that's why I'm investing in these practices. Now I've learned in the last year how to supercharge myself, how to fill my cup and it's in water. And it's so funny. We looked at like 10 different condos, you know, all over Huntington and uh, Long Beach and Pedro. And the one we got has, a, has an incredible pool. And I'm swimming in it every single day thinking, how did I not say that this was a necessity? Mm. How, you know, because we could have gotten one of the others if we hadn't gotten fucking outbid by a hundred grand over asking, you know, right. and some of those didn't have pools. And it's like, now that I know that that's how I, I supercharge, I have that kind of in my back pocket, right? Right. Where like, and not every day do I get to go for, you know, a thousand meter swim, but every day I can jump in the pool, right. you know, for 30 seconds. And so I'm preparing, I'm kind of preparing for like, okay, my, my shit's about to get wild, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like this lifestyle of mine, like Leah and I, we try to show gratitude for the time that we have left. That's just the two of us. 
you know and as excited as we are to be parents it's like oh, oh my god i just took a nap how fucking incredible was that you know yeah. so we're honoring the the choices that we have that that may be gone right in a few weeks right but i feel more prepared for fatherhood knowing how to fill my cup right and it's funny like if you talk to a 23 year old firefighter who's single he's you know you just bought a raptor or whatever and you're telling him hey hey learn how to fill your cup because around the corner you're gonna be married and have kids or you know yeah if you had told me that at 23 i'd say fuck off dude. same <laughs> same 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 dude because uh i think you're just caught up you know in uh in a bit of your own self-righteousness again you know and it's uh it we've only had to reach the point for ourselves because we weren't listening you know and it's yes, like it's crazy it caught up yeah but you know what's crazy dude is like you know i integrate part of my practices with family you know i i take uh paisley she's eight years old and i say hey let's let's go outside and uh kick the soccer ball around i'll yeah. be in bare feet i'm grounding in the ground and i'm feeling great you know I love and, that. and so i integrate my family within my practices and like even with with Haley and myself, we will get uh, Paisley to join us with yoga. Nice, you know, and it's it's fun to watch a child. You know, it just this, and I get so happy for her. Yeah, just to watch her and like, and sometimes I just I'm so curious with her imagination. So I ask her questions all the time about certain <laughs> things. You know, and she gives me an explanation about something, and I'm just like, it's just humorous. You know, and it's uh, yeah, it, that's part of the medicine bag I've created for myself. And I in a medicine bag, you put things in that don't have to be particularly like uh so literal right so i keep one of them is family you nice. know and, and it's it's uh cool to see that that's a really important factor inside of my medicine bag you know yeah. and when you start to add things to it you don't have to always like be so rigorous and regiment with your practices it can be something you're shifting you know and then also spontaneity is like so beautiful mm -hmm. and when you instill spontaneity you get out of your mind as well. You get out of these mental constructs. And I think that's why when you put your focus on your children, you really, uh, you realize like, this is probably one of the most coolest things I could ever do. Yeah. And I think some people get caught up that they're going to work to provide for their children as that's their purpose, you know? And sometimes that's all they care about is like, they're, I'm going to focus on this because I want to make sure my kids are going to a special college. You know what I mean? It's like Dude, that, they get caught up in that, man. I'm so glad you brought that up because in the development of a partnership with Leah, I went through a process of saying, well, I work and I provide money. So that's my contribution. Mm -hmm. And that's so fucking low, dude. That's like yeah. the absolute minimum contribution, right? I, yeah. I had this job before I met her. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So to honor the partnership, it's like, how am I going to show up to honor her? And if I was already working this job, if I was already making this money, then saying that that's all I'm going to do for her is so convenient and also so lazy. I mean, it's, it's a programming, right? We're all, yeah. we're all built in that way and taught that way that that's what provides a service to your children. And I uh, think it was Alejandro Zavala. He was mentioning that he had talked to a member and he never told his children that he loved them. Mm. And he would just show them. He's like, no, I love them because I go to work. He's like, well, they don't know that. You got to tell them. That Fuck, you man, them. I didn't know that when I was a kid. Yeah. You know? And my, my, I grew up, fortunately, I grew up with uh, parents who showed me a lot of love and they, they would tell me all the time, you know, and it caused me a bit more uh, of a bit of like resistance with it because it was a bit of smothering. But in the end, it taught me a way of, of being able to express that, you know, to everyone in my life. And that's a quality I can really carry within myself is loyalty, you know, and then like, like we had mentioned, you got to show that to people, you, you know, and it's like your actions are way more important. 
And growing up, my, my dad was such a great role model to me because he always showed me love. Mm. You know, he did say it, but he also showed it to me. And I was just talking to Haley about this yesterday, about how my dad, you know, never complained. And he was such a great um, person who seemed centered all the time. Mm. And it was funny because things happened to him in, in a way where it's like he, it's, he has a lot of luck. You know, and it's because he's always in a place of gratitude yeah. and never complained. And, you know, financially, my parents uh, didn't grow up with much. You know, we never owned a home. We'd always rent and jump from place to place in like really terrible neighborhoods. Yeah. And I think from that, I learned that things aren't important and that money never mattered to me because my relationship with my family was the most vital thing that I could carry. And it was nice to experience that as a child and growing up into my teenage years because I was an asshole as a kid. You know what I mean? I was like this anarchist skateboarder kid who just would just push the limits of everything I could do. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like it drove my parents nuts. But by the same time, they let me make my mistakes, which is very interesting. You know, I would learn from the anarchy. I would learn from the attitude I built for myself and like this idea of myself. Yeah. When in the end, I, I had to learn that that didn't really serve me very much. And I, the way I came across really seeing that as a limitation is when I started to, you know, become a firefighter and I went through certain academies. I got my ass kicked. I was always doing push-ups on the side of the, <laughs> of the, of the grid yard. I was always running laps, but I didn't give a fuck. I was just like, you know what? Give me the push-ups. I was yeah. so physically fit. I didn't give a fuck about it. I was like, come on, it's not a big deal. Right. And I realized in the very end, it's not about me and my self-righteousness once again it's about the team effort yeah you know when you're in a in a drill tower or an academy you are only as strong as the slowest weakest person in the group you are yeah. a unit and that's what they teach and i after you finish the drill tower in the academy and being in a profession for a little bit you're not seeing that as much as that unified unit anymore there's a lot of uh, separateness for sure i mean in the drill tower it's it's a bit forced you right. know this is your engine company this is right. your truck company whatever like if if this guy doesn't get the hose packed to the top of the tower guess what you're all punished exactly so there's a little bit more forced accountability you know um why is that lost though well you can't force it upon right. members that right. aren't you know recruits right you know they're not they're not fighting for their job they have their job um I think it's a symptom of burnout. Yeah. For, for sure. me personally, I don't work out at work barely anymore. I'm fucking tired. You know, I make my bed earlier. Um, part of me is, you know, a little bit wiser now when it comes to like trying to get sleep when you can get sleep. Right. And then also part of me just doesn't have the bandwidth. I don't have the energy, you know, yeah. um, the calls are going up. We're busier, you know, like the, the camaraderie, it, you know, just like any connection in your life, it can fill you up with energy or it can drain you of energy. Yeah. And so I'm not going to say that all camaraderie is lost, but I, forced camaraderie, it's just draining me, you yeah. know? And I think at a time where people are starting to get very truthful with what this career gives them and, and, and what their purpose is, you know, in life, it can be harder to fake forced camaraderie, you know? Yeah. Um, it's a harsh truth. I mean, in, in the end, I always say, the most important thing is my health and my family. And I prioritize that first. Yeah. You know, and if I, if I'm being challenged with either of those two things, I, you know, it's just, it's just the most important thing. And, uh, what am I supposed to do? You know, I have to make sure at the same time that I have to instill that concept with me. And if that is lost, how am I supposed to take care of other people? Exactly. And like, you have to find time to recover. I mean, like this past week, I haven't had a lot of recovery. I felt 
in the red. You know, even when yeah. I nap at home uh, the day after, you know, hard shift, I don't feel rested. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm just at a deficit right now. Um, and so I'm trying to recover a little bit at work. And obviously, you know how that goes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interrupted, and it's, you're not you're not getting like tons of rest. Um, and so I'm just kind of limping through this week and it sucks dude <laughs> like waking up tired every day I feel you and that's dude I, I just listened to so I'm hooked on this this podcast called man talks mm. and um, I've listened to episodes on sex addiction and anxiety and um, I think I told you that the guy talking today about anxiety was all about how it's um, it's really difficult to have thoughts opposing feelings yeah. so if you're injured it's really difficult to oppose those physical you know pain that you're feeling with optimistic thoughts yeah and so your thoughts kind of mirror your feelings right and i've seen how dude i'm a little bit more reactive i'm a little less patient you know just because i'm i'm exhausted you know but it also obviously put in perspective of like leah's killing it right now (laughs) like she's just She's putting on a, a happy face, even though she hasn't slept well in like a month. That she's really uncomfortable and she's hot and all these things, right? But she's still finding joy and she's still being a sweetheart to me. And like, it just made me honor her a little bit more, you know? So the fun part about like growing in this awareness is your perspective changing, you know? Yeah. And like, that's, that's a great way to get space from your thoughts is to just change the angle, you know, or change the environment. Like we said, like if... If you're having physical symptoms from an injury, then, okay, what can we do to address those? What can we do to commit to that process? Because I think, dude, there has to be a correlation right now between suicide and injury. It is. I mean, from being in that space, it uh, it's hard, man. I mean, it's a struggle. And then on top of that, we have had issues with, uh, like, think about like a separate company doing your workers comp they they're only out for themselves and it all revolves around money and sometimes you're kind of put in a place of uh, strandedness and that can cause a lot yeah. of a lot of hurt and and sitting with the pain for a second is hard and that's why it's important to reach out because when you're at home you're not around your environment and you're put in a place of a standstill at with an injury at home that's where things start to creep in and those dark thoughts come through and in this this concept with yourself begins to start eradicate. Right. And and I've said this before, you can't trust your narrative yeah. when you're full of fear. Right. So when I'm injured, oh dude, <laughs> I'm not my best self. Yeah. I'm so far from my best self, dude, because I'm focused on the pain. I'm yeah. I have a ton of fear. When's this gonna go away? Can right. I still swim? You know, like everything hurts. Every every call is harder because every time I lift the gurney, dude, I can feel it in my back. All of these things, right? I'm like hyper focused on my injury. Mm. And, you know, the thing that I've realized is when I get into that narrative, I can't, even though we've discussed how there's parts of your mind, right? One can kind of like take space and kind of see things from a different perspective. I don't, I can't expect my mind to always fix my mind now. Right. Right. So like the, one of the benefits of a cold plunge is like, you're not using your mind to fix your mind. You're using your body. Mm. You're moving that energy out. And, you know, it, it can be tough. It can be tough to heal an injury, right? It can be tough to cure an illness. Um, but the, the one thing that I've learned is when I'm, when I'm facing an adversity like an injury, I can't trust my narrative. Yeah. I, I, those thoughts, dude, because they're produced by, they're rooted in pain. 
You know, so like all these thoughts that I have about my relationship or my future or whatever, it has a dark lens to it. And that's like, that's the kind of realization I had when I stopped having suicidal ideation is like, why did I attach to that narrative? I wasn't in the right frame of mind to even produce a narrative, let alone attach to one. And that's when I got sober. That's what fucking snapped me out of that narrative. Yeah. You know? And so I think having these practices it allows you to be aware when you've entered into a space of either injury or depression or illness when you sort of realize oh shit i'm up against a challenge right now and oh what's that my my narrative's kind of dark well i'm just going to witness it for now cuz i'm going to give myself the compassion of dealing with like a big life change just like this week dude anytime i reacted you know out of stress i was like dude you're moving Moving is like on the list of the top five things that stress people out, you know, let alone being around the corner from your first child, you know, so all of this, like give yourself some compassion. So I would say like, just being aware of what, oh, oh, I had a shift in my narrative. Am I going to attach this one? Do I like this one? Is this one serving me? Can I trust this one? No. So what do I need to do? I need to hit a fucking reset, change my environment get into one of my practices that I've prepared for this moment and and keep some space from it. So I don't fall into the trap of suffering in silence. I fall into the trap of thinking it's all on me, you know, and you have some perspective that, fuck, I'm going through a really tough time. But guess what? My brothers and sisters at work are going through that exact same time. That's why, dude, I posted not about the suicide, about grief. You know, because everyone processes grief differently, but that we have similarities in that process, you know? And so like, we're always trying to reinforce what unity and connection, right? This is not about if you're a tactical warrior, cool, come up with practices to train yourself to be more resilient, but don't turn off that part of yourself, that core power of your heart that longs to be connected to others. Yeah, I mean, what you're doing is you're creating new neural pathways, the way you're changing your mindset. And by doing that, you know, just going through the understanding of the mind, uh, I, I began to see it as a software system. Yes. And it's easy. That's a good visualization. It's easy, easily malleable. And as I began to see that the software system is, it's it's controllable, but you can't do it with control. That's the thing. So the hard part about it is that like so- the way software works is it creates a, a feedback loop. Okay, so we're in our bodies, our, our bodies are intrinsically intelligent. And the more I began to, I already understood like the physiological aspect of my body, just, you know, just being a paramedic for so long and this, that part was, is okay. But going into the energetic side, I would, I would start to understand energetics and I would see like energetic map of the energetic body and it looks like a computer. Yeah. You have like your meridians that go through your body and you're these software systems that go up and down your spinal cord. And if you look at it, it looks brilliant, you know, and, and they always say like science cannot uh, say that this is true or not, but they actually now can, uh, they can analyze and measure these things with, with certain um, light and electromagnetic fields. And so as I began to see like this software system is the way it works, you know, it's firing off different wires that connect. And that's what I was learning is how to, how do I get past an injury with my brain and I began to, to do both, you know what I mean? And correlate those neural pathways and then build them on a positive note. Mm-hmm. And the thing with feedback loops, so you have a temperature regulating system in your body. When you're too hot, you sweat. When you're too cold, you shiver to bring up heat. 
that's the same way the mind works with feedback loops because mm. it's looping itself and it's it's operating from it's not too high not too low so if it's going too low it's going to regulate itself in a certain way so negative feedback loops comes with perception and as you're understanding perception you're attached to this idea of something that could be negative or positive okay well what makes negative or positive duality does but that's just a philosophical concept when you understand and extract from non-duality is neither good nor bad or hot or cold all you're doing is seeing that there's a loop here of something of a thought or a reaction to something the moment you start feeding it it begins to create itself a rapid more loop and it'll keep feeding itself so if you do have thoughts and you don't like them don't feed them you know i mean don't react to them and that's yeah. a way to understand it um you know so the way i could see software too is that computers have viruses so if there's a virus that enters the mind like something that traumatic incident like ptsd unprocessed trauma these things they they will alter the mind in a certain way for it to not process things appropriately and you can find that with uh you know mo even like multiple personality disorder a lot of that has to do with childhood trauma and they relate every single most serial killers have been traumatized as a child mm. and what something happened when they were uh, a young you know child they just they had a virus enter the mind and it began to create a negative feedback loop and it got out of control and a lot of a lot of times too these people are aloof and just not responsive and they just they seem like they're good and they're okay and the only person that can understand this is yourself if yeah. you're in a negative feedback loop that's why the number one key to mental toughness or mental clarity or mental hygiene is the relationship that you have with yourself the atman of what like hindus would call it it is the atman that we find to find the clarity of oneself and the the liberation of oneself is only through your own relationship is this how it works you know yeah that's been the the source of a lot of my peace you know um in the last couple of years is is learning to love myself learning yeah. to trust myself learning how to make myself happy learning how to feed myself good you know right and you're doing it dude it's like and and you become now even more so as a uh, an, an example for others to see like hey something's different about you trevor like what's how do you what do you do how do you do this you're like there's not really a simple answer right there's not a simple answer to behavioral mental health you know what I mean? But it can be as well, but you do multiple things that allow yes. you to step into that. I'm going to give a very broad, simple answer. Okay. Be authentic. That's for me. That was it. Right. right. I was so scared to present a version of me that wasn't this perfect persona. Mm -hmm. It was not authentic. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's why I would blow up. Okay. Because all this shit that was bothering me, I was just bottling it up. So I wasn't being right. authentic. I was saying, this doesn't bother me. I don't feel this. Yeah. You know, I'm numb. You know, and I took pride in, in being so stoic. I was like a damn machine. And it didn't serve me, right? It didn't serve me to pretend. Now, there's something about having the discipline to not feed every single emotion also. So it's a it's a right. thin line, right? It's a it's a it's a delicate balance of not just being a servant to everything you're feeling all the time, but on the on the other end of that pendulum is not feeling anything and just bottling it up. And that's what it would do. It would just like the the pop or the top would pop and I would explode. And so 
obviously I'm giving a very broad, you know, solution to a, a foundation of feeling better, which is be authentic. And that, that has served me more than, than anything is realizing like I am this way, you know, like dude, I have strengths and weaknesses, but not always trying to hide those weaknesses those weaknesses are trying to show me something exactly that's what we when we discuss shadow work it's all about your adult self is compensating for something that you felt younger you know when you when you weren't in a safe environment and so just incorporating that that younger version of you by by saying hey dude you're safe now you're no longer driven by compensation you're driven by authenticity yeah i think some of my my biggest gurus and teachers have been my own core wounds is it's always been teaching me something yeah and the more i would go into it and embrace it the more i found that authenticity and i found my answers by going through it and understanding every spectrum of what it was showing me and illuminating within myself the greatest qualities that i carried dormant within me yeah and the courage to do it is is really uh, it takes a lot of a lot of courage and but when you do it you realize it's it's not so hard you know you just but <laughs> it's it, fun it's just, it just takes that leap of faith that you know some people will call it but the the easier the more you do it the easier it gets and you know it's kind of a good introduction into even like some of the medicines that are assisting right now with uh, larger obstacles you know to to get across you know and. Would you mind pausing it before we get into the medicine? This Phil's coffee's going straight oh, through go, me. No, I'm just going to take a piss really quick. Yeah, go pee, dude. I'm awesome. not going to pause it. I'm going to leave it open. Okay. That's okay with you? Yeah. And because, yeah, we're just going to keep going with this. So thank you, everybody, for taking a break with us. But, you know, we've um, really wanted to kind of lead this as an open portal for today to keep uh you know just discussing so many different things and you know we're just having those open discussions are one of the most important parts of this podcast and seeing how people resonate with personal experience and with personal experience comes you know the authenticity that we speak of and we're getting sick of hearing doctors and data all the time and it comes to the point where humanity has to come to an understanding with it's about our personal experiences and standing together as one. And the more you do that, the more we do that, uh, especially in something like this, it's super rad. So going into some of the medicines, I mean, myself and Trevor have gone to a facility to to do ketamine. And this, this clinic uh, had reached out to do uh, help with firefighters, first responders. And Trevor is the one who introduced me into ketamine because he had done it. And he was telling me that it's it's a, a beautiful way to uh, assist with thought processes. And uh, even speaking to uh, the main guy who owns, or not, I think he manages uh, the clinic, he was kind of saying that people will come in with suicide ideation or some serious issues and they won't ever come back to suicide ideation ever again after doing ketamine and there's been research around it and that's why a lot of these clinics have been popping up and he explained the way 
ketamine works is it, it, it improves neural pathways to where it kind of gives you a clean slate. And so if you can kind of picture a mountain pass in the snow, you have a bunch of, uh, you know, ski tracks or snowboarding tracks on that mountain pass. Ketamine begins to kind of have a fresh blanket of snow so you can try to begin to create new neural pathways. And, you know, Trevor, it's helped them tremendously. And the way I had come across it is that uh, a doctor by the name of Dr. Dan Ingle, he treats a lot of TBI, traumatic brain injury and post-concussion syndrome with ketamine. And I heard about it from him and I was like, whoa, I've heard about this when he introduced it to me. And so I started jumping into ketamine and seeing that it actually began to help with some of the brain fog I still carried while I was at work and really regulated my nervous system in a certain way. Uh, so physically, I felt a difference when doing my ketamine treatments. And, and as far as like a clinical setting went, you'd sit there with, uh, you know, these clinicians that sit, uh, allow you to, to process something with ketamine in a room that's safe and secure. And uh, it's done in a very, very uh, special way to where you can process something or you could clear something within your uh, your cognitive construct. And it's super rad the way it's it's been presenting to our field of work because it's it's a rapid process to help you move past an obstacle. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely rapid, but it's not so rapid that you go in for a dose of ketamine and you come out cured, right? right? You still, dude, I, I would spend hours journaling. Right. It would just kind of, you know, it, it was the catalyst for a lot coming up. Right. for my past and my childhood. I mean, one of the biggest epiphanies I had in one of my first ketamine sessions was that I didn't trust love and I was full of fear, you know, and, and ketamine has a way of eliminating fear. It kind of shields you in this um, warmth of euphoria and you, you, you're able to examine yourself and your past and your choices um, with with just a lens of love. And so that was, it was in a way, it was very comforting to me. Like it was, it was a way of me being aware of why I was myself, Yeah, you know, like it, it was a way of me sort of sympathizing with, okay, as a young man, you learned that you couldn't trust certain people or you couldn't trust love. And there was a betrayal at your core so that's perhaps why you always think things are going to end, you know, and just even that like realization was like, ah, okay. Right. It wasn't so much like I am this way. It wasn't so much like I'm attached to things not working out. It was like, okay, this is a pattern. This was conditioned by your life's experiences. And just by giving me a different perspective on okay, I got some space. I've got some space between this action and my choice, you know? And so like, I think once it became so clear how often I was choosing a fear-based narrative and how much pain it was causing me, that's when it was like, whoa, ketamine showed me what it felt like to yeah. be loved and to feel love and to, to recognize how much love was in me. And dude, after that, it became pretty, pretty clear which choice, you know, which path I wanted to walk. And I think that's, that was the biggest epiphany for me in ketamine was recognizing, fuck dude, you're so attached to fear and you don't like it. Mm. You don't like the way this makes you feel. So even though it's a habit, 
you have the ability to choose something different. You haven't been choosing it at all. You've just been doing what's familiar. And like you said, as, as far as creating new neural pathways and, you know, just celebrating how plastic, you know, your brain is, or they yeah. say neur neuroplasticity. What's yeah. the adjective for that plastic? I don't know. I but don't know. I think that, that concept with like the fresh blanket of snow is really uh, cool yeah. to visualize yeah. because it does that. I had a, a lot of, you know, ways to where I was, I was reprocessing something that I didn't realize I had dormant within me. Right. It's crazy. And th dude, the first time I heard of ketamine, was from uh, who was doing a, clin like a clinical setting was another firefighter who worked for LA County and he had a lot of like neurological issues and he was just at his wit's end and he had these cortisol levels he would get tested for and they were through the fucking roof, dude. Right. And he had done ketamine and it took it all the way down to like his normal levels. And uh, I was just like, kind of like, you know, speculating a little bit like prior to even doing the ketamine but hearing his story, I was like, what well, does something more different it does something different, not just for your neural pathways, but to your nervous system as well. Oh, dude, it hits on so many it's different crazy, levels. It's crazy, dude. And it's nuts, like how, like, because I would go, I would go and feel so relaxed and feel good in my body after it because you're in this nervous system state where you're finally at a normal level. Yeah. Yeah, it took me out of fear. Yeah. And, dude, once I started feeling less fear in my life, dude, it was like, I felt limitless. I felt unstoppable. Have you had any like uh, visuals that kind of like a, like a process with yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I remember telling you about one. It was so wild. I mean, talk about the adult and the inner child that are both in me. I was having issues at home with my rage. So I was bottling a lot of things up and then I would explode. And the worst thing I ever did was I punched my fridge and I don't, I barely remember it. You know, Leah was in the bedroom. I was in the kitchen. Um, and I just got so upset that I threw a punch and I put a dent in my fridge and I immediately kind of like woke up from the rage and I was like, dude, what the fuck, man? You could have just broke your hand, <laughs> you know? And so it kind of snapped me out of it. Yeah. But I chose to go into that week's ketamine session with this idea of, okay, let's investigate your rage. And the visualization that I had was a young boy in the pilot seat of like a transformer. And the transformer was, you know, remember um, those machines at the end of Avatar? Yeah. It was like that. Okay. Like the guy was like in the cockpit yeah. of something that had arms and legs and could, you know, fuck shit up. And that's what I was doing. I was literally throwing hooks into buildings. And in that moment, I realized that I was attached to my rage because as a child, I felt helpless. Mm -hmm. And as a grown man who's 6'3", 220 pounds, I have the ability to express my rage in a way that makes people afraid of me and that that's hard to admit right because i i never wanted to make leah afraid of me mm -hmm. i just you know i i don't have much experience processing my own emotions it's not something i prepared for there's nothing wrong with rage and, and anger. And you're talking about like the purge, right? That's a purge you had carried and you need to release it. And if you keep it, it stuck inside of you, it doesn't feel good either. Right. But I wasn't in balance because I had a child in the cockpit of an adult 
males aggression yeah i get that you're right yeah for that's sure. dangerous right that's like that's like giving a, a child a loaded weapon <laughs> right <laughs> so in that realization there was a bunch of work to be done mm. there was a way of recognizing oh shit okay this is why i'm choosing to be rageful because i actually like the way it feels fuck grief grief is hard as shit dude i mm. might have to cry yeah but to be angry that's something i'm very familiar with and that you know i have this memory of when i was like seven years old my sister pissed me off and i threw a plate against the wall and i dude it was euphoric i mean i loved it <laughs> i saw the look on her face i heard the crash of the plate i just realized like holy shit i can do that there's places there's places you can go and like pay to break shit <laughs> rage rooms yeah rage yeah, rooms, yeah, right? yeah 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 that's what a that's what a previously burned vacant is my man <laughs> <laughs> totally dude so there was a lot of work to be done and it was incorporating the idea of okay that little sweet boy you know who was who felt helpless he's not helpless anymore nice right so i gotta get him out of the cockpit seat and recognize that okay this is why i enjoy rage and now i have a responsibility because that's what being a man is it's, it's yeah. having responsibility and holding yourself accountable for the the opportunity to inflict harm totally right did. like i don't walk down the sidewalk thinking that someone else could assault me right but you know women feel that way and i'm sure children feel that way and you know like i just don't i don't i don't feel like that so i'm like the i guess i need to be responsible for my rage because in a sense like i could i could be violent right mm. i threw a punch at a fridge right so that was a wake-up call for me and yeah i mean there's a lot of that was like one of the most intense visualizations i ever had that just yeah. clicked not every session was like that right but i went in with intention i went in with the intention of like figuring my rage out and that's that was um that's what i was shown and i think yeah, you're sure. big on this dude you've taught me you've coached me on recognizing your inner voice that you can trust and you yeah. like to sit in a meditation and you can tell the difference. You can tell the difference between totally. different versions of John, right? Yeah. The one that's speaking to you, that's your higher self, like that voice is recognizable. And that's like, that's sort of what I've, I've learned over the years is, you know, in ketamine, I, I just, be, it was, the message was so clear. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of our anxiety comes when we receive these clear messages, like reach out for help, reach out for help or whatever. And, and we're not acting on it. You know, I saw this funny t-shirt the other day, I was at the grocery store and this guy, on the back with big letters that says your anxiety is lying to you. <laughs> that was so funny, dude. Well, that, yeah, I mean, it's the truth. Or, yeah. or it's getting you to receive a message yeah. that you're ignoring. Correct. Okay, so yeah. like for me, I feel anxious when I'm lying in bed exhausted and I hear a voice that says, you know, get up and study or get up and lift weights or, or, or whatever you know mm -hmm. and i'm i'm ignoring it because i'm exhausted and that message keeps coming and coming and coming and then i ignore it and then guess what i haven't lifted weights in a week and now my back hurts you mm -hmm. know so it can be signals you know it can be alarms and i think that's that's what it is it's an alarm you know and imagine imagine if we heard a tone for a structure fire and we weren't allowed to leave quarters and that tone never went off <laughs> We would fucking kill each other. I mean, right. we would drive each other nuts. Yeah, that's a good way and, to express it. Right? Because yeah. when I hear a tone go off for a structure fire, ooh-wee, that's fun, dude. Right. 
I'm suiting up. I'm looking at the map, you know, like I'm, I'm making sure I'm right behind, you know, like I'm just, it's fun because I get to act out what, you know, an alarm went off and I get to like, I get to express an action. Yeah, for sure. But if you're paralyzed and you keep hearing that alarm and you're trying to fix your mind with your mind. It doesn't work that way. No. You know, that's why, that's why meditation has become so important to me because I have, I have understood what voice is more important and that higher self voice is a whisper oh nice nice you know and it's it's not so uh it's not so loud right but the moment you are sitting there and and listening more and more and more you're realizing which which is the the most truth to you that resonates within your system that is a practice that's a beautiful metaphor i know it's it's literal right because you're hearing a whisper yeah but it's such a good metaphor for like being still and being connected because you you're not going to hear the whisper if Unless you're you do if, so. if you're distracted. Yeah, if, right? you, if you're caught up with yourself and you're disconnected, there, there's that voice is going to be less heard. Yeah, and, and with that voice also comes this inner knowing with yourself, this intuition that is a bit more uh, of a whisper as well. But you yeah. have to make a relationship with it, or else it's not going to come through. Dude, I've heard so many whispers in the past week of just yeah. just how much love I have for Leah and it's subtle, my dude. baby boy and, and the gratitude. The yeah. gratitude I've been like having so many moments. And this is this has been a practice of mine. It's just to not be consciously grateful, right? Not just to speak into the mirror, I'm yeah. grateful for this life, yeah. but to feel it right. in my subconscious. Yeah. And it's made its way down deep, mm-hmm. you know, into my into my core, this feeling of gratitude. Yeah, I mean, if you can just sit with yourself and uh, and have some gratitude for the things that are or what is rather than what if, you begin to really uh, understand like that frequency is is really beautiful to make a relationship with. And then if you do that practice, let's say you sit down for five minutes and say, hey, I'm going to be grateful for some certain things, you know, mm-hmm. my health, uh, my family. And there, there you sit with it. It's really, really gratifying to, to just feel that you know it's a frequency that's felt and if you make that relationship by just sitting with that for five minutes you can really uh, begin to now navigate your life in a certain way with understanding frequency and what feels right what doesn't yes and making that shift yeah so like the choice right the choice to change frequencies you gave me a gift once was when i was feeling anger you told me to shift into compassion Mm -hmm. and lately when i feel fear i shift into gratitude yeah and it's nice it's how we operate yeah it's easily done you're you're becoming a transmuter and that's what this human experience is all all about is being a master of the self and when you're able to just do that you you are becoming a master of the self and you're becoming a master of, of the mind and you're not getting all caught up you're not getting stuck with yourself um, ketamine does help uh, tremendously with some certain things. Um, you know, it, it, it well for me. I the way I described it was it would clear my hard drive of thoughts. Mm. Like I had this one time, just uh, there was a uh, a bunch of thoughts just passing through me, just and it was clearing like these thoughts, thought processes that didn't really serve me anymore. Yeah, and it gave me a lot of clarity afterwards. Like I went home and I just felt so clear. You know, and that was something that uh, would assist me outside of meditation or outside of personal practices, because for some reason, dude, this is this medication. It just really helps, dude. I mean, to the point where someone cannot have suicide ideation after doing ketamine. It's beautiful, dude, to have that tool. 
um, you know, it's it's just an option to have. Yeah, and, and that's a, why we talk about these alternative medicines because no one really talks about them anymore. They're afraid to. Um, why? You know, especially when there's research to back it up. You know what yeah. I mean? It's it's really tough, dude. To to because that's a lot. It's a fearful response when you, if you're needing help and you need some assisted assistance for some therapy. It's an option, and this this facility it, it it definitely will take everything of like your history and things like that, and they're very careful with who they they treat. You know what I mean? And and for me, the TBI stuff uh, it it helped tremendously. So anyone who struggles from TBI or any post concussion issues, it I would say it exponentially helped some of my symptoms that I didn't realize I even carried. Yeah, yeah, and for me, right, I didn't go for for physical symptoms, I was stuck in a pattern of anger, you know, and I I didn't go from our first miscarriage to PTSD therapy. This was two years in the making, you know? And so I just want to, you know, bring up, uh, interviewing Jason Shelton, you know, talking about that sleep study, right? right? Very cynical, very, um, I guess, you know, opposed to the idea of improving his sleep until, he was so fed up with the night terrors you know and that's i was fed up with acting out in anger you know and i was fed up with this pattern that that kept showing up anytime things got difficult and i would fucking blow up that's not who i wanted to be for leah that's not who i wanted to be for my future son that's not who i wanted to be for myself so i made a change yeah i mean it's uh it was a great tool right i mean it took you it took you to the next level of your evolution of self to where that obstruction there wasn't an obstruction anymore no it, it helped me i mean i i only did it six times yeah. right that's a that's a complete cycle in the the treatment clinic i guess mm-hmm. and after those six times i was still able even without the medicine to rewrite narratives mm-hmm. it just it just made it gave me the power it made me realize that i have the power to to make a choice yeah one of the most interesting things i've had with ketamine is that you know since my concussion i I had to sit with a lot of anxiety and never had that in my life and you know i had um really worked through it to the point where i had used you know other certain medicines like cambo that really assisted my my uh, ability to you know overcome that heightened anxiety but uh, when I did ketamine, it really was purging uh, a bit of panic that I still had dormant within me mm. uh, with the brain fog and some symptoms that would come up and headaches and things like that. And it was it was almost like this clearing, uh, but I had to kind of experience it first. And panic was, uh, it, it's a very um, arduous emotion to sit with because sure. it, it's a state of fear. Um, and this was something that was dormant within my consciousness that it was it had to present itself in order for it to be cleared and it was uh it was a bit jarring at first i probably sat with it for 30 minutes but this was like extreme panic i'm mm, talking about yeah you know and paranoia that came up and it was interesting because i i didn't know that sat inside my system still right just you know? like i didn't know there was so much grief underneath my anger nice and that's why i had had that pattern of blowing up to protect yeah. myself right right it was it was my ability to blow up shut down never touch the grief i mean it's only natural for you to do that you know it's a survival mechanism to for sure to, to move forward you know and uh, if but now that you're realizing it and you know you've gone through the process of understanding that at a deeper level it takes a lot of guts you know what i mean so it's 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 uncomfortable dude how uncomfortable is that to fucking sit with your anger and then go into grief and then sit with that too <laughs> 
it's um you know it's it's for sure uncomfortable vulnerability is still uncomfortable for me yeah and it just depends right like i'm way more comfortable being vulnerable with leah but you know i still struggle with being vulnerable at work Mm -hmm. you know because it's just so relentless that feeling everything all the time gets in my way um but it it is work but it's like what else are we here for yeah you know like i'm trying to evolve i'm trying to grow in my emotional maturity and understanding how i'm feeling yeah and where i'm feeling it and what it represents and can i let it go and can i transform and can i learn from all this that's extremely motivating like for instance i i've mentioned i didn't cry for 10 years and then i started expressing myself uh in sadness right i never went to sadness i always went to loneliness anger frustration aggression whatever when i began to express myself in sadness in the act of crying it felt like the most amazing release ever whereas right now i don't think i've i mean i don't keep track but i do journal so i know a little bit about my timelines right i haven't had a drink in three months and i'm pretty sure i haven't cried in like six months and the worst part is is that i feel something in me i feel grief and I think it's related to you know some conflicts that I've had with my family in the last six months, mm. and I can feel it building. Yeah, and I want that release. And even I just heard on um, a podcast today that this dude pulls up YouTube videos on like puppies getting rescued as a way to produce that expression, and that's kind of how I feel right now. Like I need that. And so when you start investigating these difficult emotions you start learning how to process them right and then they don't get bottled up right yeah i mean if you're doing the conscious work around like something that you're sitting with right now you it's good because you feel like it's it's rising to the surface it's coming to the top and you can feel this coming up and when something like that does come up to the surface and you can use a tool um that helps and assists with that is like journaling things like that but um, something I have found to do uh, is Cambo, like I, I told oh, you yeah. before. It helps with the conscious work you're doing. There's something that rises to the surface. You can get it out of your system viscerally. You know what I mean? And uh, You know that we have had a, a ceremony together where right. I felt guilt and shame. Yeah. And I was stuck. And then I told myself, I forgive you. I mm-hmm. forgive you. I forgive you. And I was able to purge. And it was a deep, deep emotional and spiritual purge. Dude, it, it's ugh, that medicine blows me away, man. The way it, it operates, and it operates with the consciousness, really, too, in an emotion as well. And it, like both of them put together, you're able to get it out of your system, and you feel complete with it. You're closing a chapter with yourself, you know. Well, on the subject of mental hygiene, I mean, what are some words that we use to describe someone who's hygienic? They cleanse, right? They purge, they exactly. wash, they clean, right. you know. And the idea that you know, we're bottling things up. It's like, you know, I I need to do laundry tomorrow at work. I know this and I know it's going to feel incredible to do it because right now what I have is a stack of dirty clothes in my fucking locker Mm. and I don't like that. Yeah. Right. So I think that even though you may not be able to put into words this, these emotions that you're feeling, I think most people can recognize this feeling of bottling things up and having it come up to the surface. And just like if you go camping for three days, what are you dying to do when you get home? Take (laughs) a hot shower. 
if you're dealing with family stress, work stress, we had a, a, a death of a, a member and you're feeling grief, okay? All of these things are rising to the surface. Right. Do yourself a favor and try and cleanse something, try and purge something, try and wash something. Yeah, I mean, I had I had lost some friends uh, years ago in a car accident, and um, the way I processed it was I, I fasted for three days. And wow! I, I was able to uh, really work through the grief of those people really um, dear to me, you know. And it was, uh, I it was it was shown to me in a book. To uh, it was like a really like personal book about like uh, self awareness, and it was talking about how fasting is a way to purge yeah. because you're cleansing your body from toxins. Mm. And um, it was a really, really fascinating way to understand grief. And then physically I was able to work through it. And um, you know, there's just so many options you could do to have that cleansing, you know? And uh, I really want to touch on like your vulnerability, dude, because uh, that portion of vulnerability it is scary at first, but it is the next part of your freedom and it has a lot to do with openness mm-hmm. and authenticity yeah dude and, and people that are shows vulnerable, dude. and right? pe- people will commend you They'll be like hey man thank you for being so vulnerable because yeah. it shows me that i got to do some work on myself with with my openness with my wife or my my husband or whatever because the openness creates a lot of fear uh, of like you know the unknown right but it's yeah. it's important man there's this really beautiful book that I have. It's a, a book of Native American poems, and it's called Blood, Sweat, and Tears, this poem that was written. Uh, the book is called Wolf Teeth. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> and this, this poem, it's really short. Um, and I, I just remember, I mean, Native Americans were like these warriors, right? And like they would go into battle fearless. Oh, and, dude, and uh, you bring up Phil Jackson. He was yeah. obsessed with Native American culture, and I that know, was his bond dude. with Dennis Rodman. I know, yeah. dude. And the way he handled Dennis Rodman was so gracefully. That was awesome. Go to Vegas. Go do coke for two days. Come back and win a championship for us. So going back to the poem, you know, this this part of the poem, it says, um, nothing to hide, nothing to fear. And I just remember like how important that, that, that showed me how like the openness and vulnerability is about that. It's about nothing to hide, nothing to fear. And I'm taken to like this idea of like Joan of Arc, the way she surrendered herself to the enemy and she came up and uh, she was just naked without any armor. She surrendered herself because uh, she had nothing to hide, nothing to fear. And the openness of, of approaching something with, with that greater vulnerability is there's power behind it mm-hmm. and without words. And when you are accessing that part of yourself with that, that characteristic, it is seriously, you will realize that you're, there's nothing to be afraid of. Right. And, but if you start working with, there's nothing to hide, nothing to fear. You begin to see like, there's this, this, there's an open possibility to everything, but everything comes to you in that moment. And, um, the moment we start categorizing, putting things in boxes and compartmentalizing so much, the point where it's just like, that's too much. You can't compartmentalize everything. You have to be, begin with a bit of openness. And when you can put things in a box, um, Think about when you're going up to a box and you start turning the lever, a fucking clown pops out. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a fucking jack in the box and it's fucking, it'll punch you in the face if you're too close. But if you if you begin to open things up and realize there's nothing really in there, it's not a fucking scary clown. It's just a bunch of little small, you know, uh, gears and things like that that is operating inside that box. There's nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. I mean, what, <laughs> that's funny, the jack in the box. <laughs> 
uh when you said box and i heard lever i was like oh i think i know what's coming next <laughs> but um yeah dude so i wasn't my own best friend for a long time mm. um in a way i needed leah to love me before i could love myself and that's why she's my greatest teacher mm. so let's say i was approaching that jack-in-the-box two years ago and i you know i didn't know what it was i fucking turned the lever and the clown jumped out and i was scared or let's say the inner child in me was scared. The adult version of me would say, quit being scared, you fucking pussy. Mm -hmm. Right? So yeah. if you hear that, you're less likely to go up to boxes and yeah. fucking pull the lever. Yeah. If you're your own best friend and you, you treat yourself with grace and compassion and unconditional love and, and you, you pull that lever and a, a clown jumps out, you say, fuck. You know, but damn, I hate, I hate clowns, dude. I hate clowns and clowns exist. And damn, that got you. Are you okay? Are you safe? Yeah, yeah, you're safe. You're just a little scared. If you treat yourself like that, you're way more willing to open up boxes. And that's what changed in me, yeah. right? Is I'm, I'm more committed to being vulnerable. Whereas before I was so committed to being stoic because I saw vulnerability as a weakness. The thing about that is if it's a weakness, you're never going to choose it. You're always going to hide it. You're always going to put it in your shadow. And so what that does is it limits you. So now your range of emotion, it doesn't even include sadness. It doesn't even include grief. You're always choosing anger and you're limiting yourself. And that's what I was doing. So I had to become my own best friend so I could be authentic and say, I am vulnerable. I am a human being. I do feel sadness. And when I see sadness, I don't try to replace it with anger. I investigate it. I process the sadness so I can let it go. That's vulnerability right there. Yeah. And dude, I was taught it. Yeah. Okay. I was taught it by my mentor, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it, it's something within me, but I was encouraged to express it by my mentor. Who's fucking toughest dude I've ever met. I mean, he dude, this guy's 53 and he's fucking jacked covered in tats, but he's a sensitive guy. You know what I mean? And he taught me, you can have the duality, you know? And I, dude, I yeah. remember reading or no, sorry. I was, uh, I was listening and watching, uh, Aubrey Marcus and Zach Bush talk on Aubrey Marcus's podcast. And they both ended the podcast with, uh, words, words for the listeners. And they both cried. They both cried in a space that they were like four feet from one another. And I respect these men as like intelligent warriors who are yeah. leading the way on divine masculinity. And I, I, I thought to myself, holy shit, there's my role model. You know what I mean? So if vulnerability doesn't resonate with you, that's fine. That was me four years ago. But if you have role models in your life that possess certain qualities that you admire, guess what? You have a choice. You can learn from them. They're, they're granting you permission. I mean, that was the success of Bo Porter. He granted a lot of members permission to feel a certain way. Yeah, he he comes from Fire City, dude, Battalion 13. Very, very busy, hardcore assignment. Yeah. And he said, you know what? As successful as I was at on duty, I was covering shit up and I wasn't successful at home with my wife and daughter. Yeah. And I felt that shit and it hurt me. Mm -hmm. And I was ashamed and I, I did the work to feel better. Dude, when guys heard that, it, dude, they were allowed, they were granted permission to feel the same. Yeah. And that's what it's about. That's the unity right now. It's, it's not pretending everything's great. Shit is fucked up right now yeah. in the fire service. So let's honor that. Let's be aware of it. And let's grow together through this process of understanding ourselves. Yeah. 
yeah, I can't reiterate again, like that mental hygiene has to come from yourself because if you have all these, these tools to assist you, it takes, uh, it takes two to tango and you have to meet those, those tools and the people who are here to help you with the courage. And if you don't do it, I mean, how are you, you can't help them. You know what I mean? It's same with like someone going into sobriety, like you have to take a vow within yourself to make the decision to change. And, you know, thinking about like change is just uh, shifting in anything, you know, it's, it's a cycle. And if you look at, I mean, I love to just um, connect with nature all the time to just see like all it is just change. I mean, it's from winter to spring. That's all it is. And when you just see it as a cycle, you know, I just realized for myself, like if I look at nature, you know, I, am I superior? No, I'm not. We're all the same. And we realize there's a, there's an intelligence to everything. And I, I just, that's just the way I see it. And it comes from a lot of like indigenous teachings. You know, they, these indigenous people, if a Westerner comes to their tribe, they say, you're sick because you're not connected anymore. You're not connected to the earth. You're not connected to the seasons. You're disconnected. That's why you feel this way. And mm-hmm. that's what they'll say. And, and it's because um, you're, you're not understanding the natural laws, universal order, universal laws as well. The moment you are able to understand it, you're able to create your life in a certain way to feel that connection again. And that's why people would say that you go ground. It seems so stupid, but it's not. You know what I mean? It's like you're finally connecting with yourself and it's, it literally has a scientific frequency that's able to regulate your entire nervous system. And the more you connect yourself with that, you start connecting different dots and you realize everything is connected. Everything has a purpose. You know, yeah. and uh, the moment you are able to see that, yeah, your, your ability to, to see yourself becomes in a greater part of a connection. You know, and it's... Uh, it's taken me a while to see that, and it, it took a lot of um, my own practices to see that. I mean, like I would, I used to go into the ocean a lot, you know, and I would, I would connect with the ocean. And I, it was more so like doing a cold plunge. I would do it in the winter, but by the same time, I was like, wow, this is um, really, this feels really good. You know what I mean? And I, I just, feel different. I feel yeah. I feel a change. Yeah. And it feels like amazing. This is a medicine, the water, you know, I need to really honor this, this element is so beautiful. And I know you have a, a correlation with water in the same way. You know, it's just like, it's something that really helps. And I saw that as a medicine as well. You know what I mean? And I put that in my medicine bag and I just realized, Hey, like going in the ocean and feeling connected with the salt water is just, just nothing else like it. I need it. It's yeah. therapeutic for me. Yeah. And that's, that's the beautiful part of recognizing that there are gifts of the earth. You know, yeah. you could look at your screen on a spaceship to Mars, you know, but taking advantage of what the earth provides us, you know, and learning that there's parallels between us and nature and wildlife. I mean, I'm hooked on wildlife. I, I watch yeah. nothing but nature documentaries now. Yeah, and same. it's been, it's been rad to just learn about like some of the, the, the co inhabitants of this earth, you know, that yeah. like, you know, for me, you know, Leah's pregnant and, and, and then us going to like the, the breastfeeding class, you know, at Hogue Newport and learning, dude, I thought I knew about breastfeeding. I didn't know shit, you know? <laughs> and so understanding her body and the connection yeah. and, you know, the fact that the, the nipple smells like the amniotic fluid hmm. to the baby. So he, he recognizes like that. That's where I make my latch. I mean, it's so fascinating hmm. and it just puts it in perspective that, that we do share this connection yeah. with nature and with animals. And like, it has a way of, making me feel both the wonder and magic of this planet and also um a connection to to not feel lonely you know and i think that's 
we keep saying unity. You know, I know that there's people out there suffering in silence and feeling like they're alone and they're stuck. You're not. Right. You're not. You have us. You know, you have you have you have so many people around you that want to help. You know, and I think that when we treat ourselves with respect, when we say time out, time out, man. I've been hearing so many fucking alarms. And I've been working like crazy and shit at home's out of control. Time out. Right. You know, and sometimes I'll call a timeout in a fight with Leah and say, I, I, I gotta go jump in the water. Yeah. I'm not I don't like my narrative right now. I'm yeah. fucking out of control. Let me take a timeout, you know, and 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 you know, whether it's fucking PTSD therapy with ketamine or whether it's cold plunges or whatever, call a fucking timeout for yourself. Yeah. You know, because if you continue to bottle shit up and just push, push, push forward, dude, <laughs> it's not it's not a safe route yeah. and, and that's what I think. I think we're all trying to feel safer, you know, safer in our own skin, safer in our environment, you know, cause change mm-hmm. is happening yeah. all around us. Right. And for a control freak like me, I used to be fearful of change, right. you know, and I just want to feel safe. But the more you put preparation into your practices, the safer you feel in the face of change. Yeah. You embrace change. You encourage the evolution. You welcome it. Right. You know, this is my journey. And guess what, brother? My journey doesn't end with suicide anymore. Mm-hmm. That was a false fucking narrative. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I feel that in my core. And that's what I want our listeners to hear is the, the, the ability to be unstuck. The ability to rewrite something. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to make this career work. You know, one of our, one of our most popular posts on Instagram was that dude holding the sign. And it was a bit of a complaining post. It was like, call 911 for you know emergencies only or pull to the right or whatever. And that shit blew up because everyone likes to complain. Right. But a lot of the comments on Instagram were like, you're burned out, get a new career. <laughs> it's not that simple. Just like if your best friend comes to you and says, hey, I'm fighting with my wife, you don't say shut up and get a divorce. Exactly. Right. So we're being sympathetic to the power of burnout and we're trying to make this career work. And I know that I talked to Hugo about, dude, it's better to get it's better to get a new job than to to commit suicide. Yeah. You know, and I know a lot of guys' identity is wrapped up in this career. Yeah. But if you don't take a time out and say, fuck, maybe this job isn't for me, or maybe I'd rather go be a fucking organic farmer in Oregon or whatever. You know what I'm saying? If you don't call a time out, dude, you're on a you're you're on a an unsafe path. Yeah, you know, and you're 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 a little too far out. And people are invested with their their children and, and this life that they've created. It's harder. It's a lot, a lot more is at stake. You know, and that's a lot more, way more fear to Dude, do something like that. I know? don't think that I could handle a career change right now. That's why yeah. I'm I'm really investing in how do I improve this career. You yeah. know, I've changed careers a lot in my life, and it was so funny. Dude, some of the comments on social media they're just so brutal. Yeah, you know, there's zero compassion. And I think that that's, you know, when we talk about hygiene, I'm very proud of you for cleansing yourself of your phone in the last 30 days, right? Because it's healthy. That's not the way that we speak to one another. Right. You wouldn't dare say that to a coworker. Fuck you. You're burned out. Get a new career. Yeah. That's not how we talk to someone face to face. Exactly. And, you know, social media allows us to fucking run wild with our commentary. And if you're feeling anxious or you're feeling burned out or whatever do, do yourself a favor just put that shit on mute for a minute yeah i mean it's a good opportunity to call out the lafd watchdog i mean, <laughs> I mean it's not even worth our fucking time i know we you talked know? about it well, right? i responded i responded in that one post with the accountability talking about how i have integrity and i picture my son in my arms and i don't want him asking me why 
I'm on my phone 24 hours a day with rumors and gossip and trying to spread hate. Yeah, it's the it's that's part of the problem is the polarization within like a you know an agency, and the more you polarize, it's again it's going to be a tug of war that is not helping at all. It's creating an imbalance within the system, when in the end it has to be that 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 unification. You know, I think about like think about like uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Like this guy like fucking brought these people together, and they were marching in the streets while chaos was occurring and they were being murdered and he was walking through the streets like hey we're tired of being fucking killed yeah let's fucking do something about this it was a civil revolt against the violence and there's something happening here that is uh, it's more subtle it's not so blatant but people are dying and it has everything to do with this this inner voice within that has to be talked about and has to be uh it's a hygiene you know what i mean and this revolt has to come together with unification with us walking in the streets together at a humanitarian scale with one another. And the people who are in this line of work have to realize that to put their self-righteousness aside, the polarity aside, and realize no one can do this alone. It has to be a unification effort with this. And the greatest leaders did this without leadership roles. Like, you think about uh, Gandhi, man. That guy did the same fucking thing. You know, he's like, I... I've, I'm starving, but I don't, I don't get into it. You know what I mean? And same with Martin Luther King Jr., man. He, he realized, he's like, there is something that has to be done here. I'm going to speak upon it. I don't give a fuck what people think. And there has to be a change here. And that's what's happening right now. But it can't just start with us. It can't just be the small, the small group of people that are here to help with on the psychology, behavioral health, um, you know, center, things like that. It has to be with everybody, man. And that's that's just the poor truth about it, but it's a beautiful truth. And it, in the end, I think it's I can really see the the shift happening. I can feel it. And it's really important that everyone supports one another. And it's just, it's essential and paramount for it all to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, and on the subject of hygiene, I mean, ask yourself, how do you feel when yeah. you scroll through accounts like that? Is that making you feel better? You know, because I, I look for inspiration constantly, right? Yeah. I, I am trying to cleanse. I'm trying to feel better. There's certain things I can feed myself that feel good. And there's a lot of hate and gossip and just like negativity that if I feed myself, I don't feel good. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to ingest that, you know? So yeah, it's there, toxic, there's, man. There's a choice right there. Yeah, a while back, I, I did my own toxic cleaning of people in my life that, that didn't serve me anymore. You know? Same. A couple of them were or certain friends that I had for a very long time, and I realized, you know, you do nothing for me. Your toxic behavior is, um, it's now being eradicated by me excluding you from my life. Yeah, it's draining. Yeah. And uh, it's, I mean, it's palpable when someone's very toxic. You, you can go in a room with a toxic person and realize that person changes the room with their energy. And it doesn't feel good. It's, it's sticky. And it doesn't like you, you go home feeling like their energy dump on, on top of you because sure. of their behavior. Yeah. And a true, a true person who is sovereign can understand what that feels like. And it gives you the opportunity to say, well, okay, well, I don't want to be around that person anymore. Dude, my favorite, my favorite leaders at work have never complained. Yeah. They're just not complainers. Yeah. I, I, I could name five captains right now that I've never heard complain. Yeah. And they've, they've, fucking rally the troops yeah you know so if you're in a leadership role and you're choosing to spread hate instead of unity and empowerment and um courage and motivation you got to check yourself yeah because you're doing a lot of damage 
Yeah. I just looked at the time, dude. No, it's I, all good. I have a call up. scheduled with my mentor in all 15 good, minutes. No, no, it's all good. I want to re- remind everyone that you and I are doing Jet Ski to Catalina, yep. which is going to be so sick. I mean, talking about nature and wildlife. Like when we saw this ad pop up on our Instagram feed, we were like, fuck yeah. yeah. So we booked it for August 17th. And if you want to go with us, I don't know how many they'll allow in a group, but I've seen their reels on Instagram where like 10 jet skis are in the water. Cool. So if you're free on August 17th and you want to jam out to Catalina and maybe see some dolphins and sea lions and maybe, fingers crossed, a great white shark, <laughs> <laughs> call them up or book online and use Grab 10 for 10% off. It's a good amount of savings. Yeah. So anyways, thank you so much for tuning in with us. Um, continue to follow us on Instagram. We're at GrabLives underscore podcast. And again, we know that it's difficult to process grief. This is the time to come together. This is the time to lean on one another. And I'm so sorry for it being just a really tough week for a lot of different people. And we hope that today's episode has just been a little bit of a silver lining into some of the, the hard feelings that we're going through right now. All right. Thank you, everybody.